This is Take on the World with Johnny and Mike. And, you know, people always ask me, hey, you got a podcast? What's it about? Uh, I don't know. You ever want to uh, cut your fingers off or learn about a sharp knife? <laughs> we could tell you that. <laughs> How about uh, murder mysteries or uh, hauntings or any kind of fringe subject? Anything you could think of. We take on everything because we take on the world. Now you go take on the world. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Back to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, the last podcaster on the left, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. You like that one, huh? I did. That one was funny. It was a good one. Just I just thought of that one, too. What is the movie right there in front of you? No, I have uh I'm a big fan of the there's a podcast called The Last Podcast on the Left, and I have their book right right here behind me. I always scan my books over yeah. here for yeah. something right before we start, and that was the last thing I saw right before we started. So nice, it's a pretty good one. See, that's a good one. I'll take it. <laughs> let's uh, let's do a little house cleaning here, real quick, before we get into the show. How about it? Sounds like a good idea. All right. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all the other great shows over at DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash DeluxeEditionPod and find the show immediately after it's recorded and unedited. You can hear all the stuff that Ray and I talk about before the show. And if you'd like to buy a t-shirt, head over to whatamaneuver.net slash collections slash deluxe dash edition. And if you want to see what Ray is doing over on the Instagrams, check it out. Deluxe edition pod. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about you, Ray? What do you got for us? If you go over to the 10 cent beer night T public store, you can get all the bootleg merchandise that your heart desires for. I think uh, we're at the point now where I've got like uh, tote bags, laptop fucking bags. I got everything over there now. There's so much stuff. <laughs> Go check it out. There's even uh, there's bootleg shirts with the logo. And then if you want Ray and I, our pictures on there, you can yeah. find that on there. Uh-huh. They're all up there. All right, Ray, what can you tell us about today's show? On today's show, we are joined by Don Brody, who is the host of Hilf, which is history I'd like to fuck. 
Great name for a podcast. And we are going to be talking about Tiny Broadwick, who every time you brought this up for the last six months, I would pretend like I didn't know who you were talking about because I know you like her so much. And I would just be like, oh, Tiny Broadwick, the, the first uh, guy to play hockey without a helmet, right? And you'd be like, nah, it's, that's not what it is. Oh, and I, this went on for months. And finally, this is done, so I don't have to pretend like I don't know who it is anymore. Yeah, I'm so interested in this uh, in this lady, Tiny Broadwick, who, who, you, who you will find out all about in the upcoming episode. Um, I've actually started to write a, a script, a screenplay about her life. Uh, it's it's not easy because, as you'll find out, there's not a lot of information about her life. So uh, Dawn did her best to give the history, and I think it was a, a pretty good hilfing, wouldn't you say, Ray? I think she did an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah, Dawn has a great podcast, like Ray said. Go check it out. Hilf History, I'd like to fuck with Dawn Brody. You can find it on the Deluxe Edition Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. So if I'm uh, not missing anything, Ray, what do you say? We get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Hello. Hey, hey Dawn, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What is this little sound? Are you in like a little sound booth closet thing? I am. And it is exactly a sound booth closet. There is no better way to describe the space that I'm in. It. it the door opens to a room making <laughs> this a closet. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a panic room. It's uh, the the padding, the soundproofing does does create a certain amount of protection from a rage. It's true. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, you guys are drinking. I I feel left out. I didn't I, uh, I didn't have a drink for me today. I left my note. I have to go grab my notes. Observe yeah, go ahead. my closet. I'll be right back. You know what? I'll go. I'll go grab a beer. All right. Well, we are recording. So you mentioned uh, Wisconsin. You hail from Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. I do. Right? I do. I do. The Wisconsin Street in Wisconsin Rapids, <laughs> Wisconsin, which uh, is one of the centermost places in the state of Wisconsin. So, mm. yes, I have cheese in my veins. Girl. <laughs> how close to how close to that is Wisconsin Dells? Uh, never close enough. That's one of my favorite places on earth. Um, it's a it's give or take an hour, hour and a half, okay. depending on the time of year. Um, and it's like, if you live in Wisconsin Rapids, it, the and this is my issue now because both of my parents still live there, is that you have to fly into either Chicago or Minneapolis. They're both about equal drives. Then you have to get a car, however you're getting a car. And then whatever the weather is, it's almost always deer weather or <laughs> snow weather then you're driving three and a half hours on two-lane traffic into the depths of skin eater country you know where there's still like i i never get cells you know it's it's wonderful it's going home i love it but it's hard (laughs) it's hard to get there yeah i travel for work and uh one of the jobs that i had to do was in wisconsin dells and i was like what Mm. is this place what did you do in the Dells when you I were had there? to uh, go look at a at a roof on a Home Depot. Okay. Did you go to any water parks? I did not because it was <gasps> the middle of the winter and I could barely see across the street at one point. It was snowing that hard. 
Oh, I really hope that you get back to the Wisconsin Dells someday because it is one of the most magical places on earth. Like, it's got all of the, like, imaginativeness of, like, Las Vegas without the, like, seedy underworld of, like, gambling and prostitution, like, feeding (laughs) it. And it's got all of the, like, irreverence of Wisconsin. (laughs) Just, you know, bars and cheese and just, like, go for it. But it's also, like, where, um, uh, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright lived and there's like amazing architecture and like stunning geography and a a Shakespearean theater. It's kind of magical. Yeah, it was definitely pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that's where that song comes from, The Farmer in the Dell. I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) It was just one Dell back in the day. It was just the one Dell. I've been trying to figure out what the fuck a Dell is. I don't know. It makes no sense to me. Must have something to do with a river. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then uh, continuing d- down your bio here, you lived on a houseboat for nine years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, two different houseboats over the course of nine years. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. Well, what, I, what led you to leave, living on a houseboat? Well, I um, had always sort of had sort of a whimsical romantic notion of life on a boat because I'm from rural Wisconsin, <laughs> some kind of landlocked idea of like, wow, pirates in the high seas and sort of anything wayfaring caught my heart always. Then when I graduated from college, so random, there was a job that opened up that was like this perfect marriage for me because the University of Minnesota, go Gophers, where I had graduated <laughs> had just bought this showboat, which was, you know, an old-fashioned looking paddle wheel boat to like do plays and stuff on in the summer. And it would be like a dinner theater and a way to make money and a way to make like the theater kids work for it. And it was part of a tourism boat company. So they were hiring basically someone to work full time in the receptionist office of this Mississippi River St. Paul paddle wheel company that had for the last like 60 years done nothing but summer because it's St. Paul, Minnesota. And of course you wouldn't do anything on the river at any time other than the summer. And I worked there and I fell in love with the river and I fell in love with the river rats, (laughs) the people who lived down there. And I discovered that there were people who lived on their boats on the Mississippi River in St. Paul year round. And they are batshit crazy and they're wonderfully interesting and sexy and poetic. And I just thought, fuck, yes, you know, this is my thing. And um, and son of a bitch, I did it. I, I, I have I'm, I had nothing <laughs> and I just put all of my nothing into a houseboat. It was a mortgage that cost twenty five thousand dollars. And I bought it in May. And I spent my first winter aboard and it was fucking harrowing and I didn't have running water for five weeks and I had to hack my ass out of the ice in the middle of the night. And I was wrapped in plastic and, you know, it was nuts. It was scary. There was animals down there. You know what I mean? And then in the spring, when I cut myself out, I thought, oh, my God, I'll do this for the rest of my life. Like, I'm going to be one of these weathered old women. You know, everybody down here looks like a baseball glove (laughs) by the time they're 55. I was like, this is it. This is great. Um, and then I met my fella and he was a lubber, but, um, he was pretty cool anyway. And he was kind of down for the life. And he was like, I'll, I, I like, I, he, we fell in love and it was like, you, I'm not leaving the river. And he was like, I'll live on a boat. And I was like, you've seen how little water and how much sewage and how crazy the animals and the people. And, um, anyway, he jumped in and then together we bought a second boat that was made of steel and was more hardy and had two floors and, 
We, we took an epic trip with my old boat, the first boat, um, 1800 miles down the river all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And, and honestly, it was at the end of that trip that I was like, I don't think I am going to be a weathered old woman alone on the river. I think I'm going to marry this hot piece of ass. Wow. <laughs> what a plot twist, you know, <laughs> it was good. It was a joy. Yeah. So you met someone else at the. <laughs> no, no, no. He was a hot piece of ass all the way down the river oh, gotcha. uh, to the very yeah. end. Just like, man, I mean, you know how it is. You go through that kind of shit with somebody and uh, you, you go, oh shit, I get it. I get what all the, all the love songs are about. Cause that trip, it was, it was 33 days and we almost died every day and we never fought. <laughs> It was fun every day. Like I was like, "Oh, I get yeah, marriage, fucking easy. That'll be easy." Boat trips are hard. <laughs> and has it been easy? Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, we got a five-year-old daughter. He's taking care of her right now. I mean it. If you're really wondering how it goes, like go on a. It doesn't even have to be a houseboat. Go canoeing for a weekend. You're gonna know by the end of that weekend if y'all you, can hang. All you need is a trip to Walmart. <laughs> you think so? Okay. Yeah. Sure. I mean, find your stakes, wherever those high stakes are for you. <laughs> Walmart's pretty harrowing. It's fair. Yes. <laughs> so then what So then, what took you to L.A.? So was nine years was up? What What happened then? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we did that boat trip. You know, we took down the river. And I remember saying to each other kind of, wow, that was crazy. Because it was my dream. The, my dream was to live on a boat. And then my dream was to take that boat all the way down the Mississippi River. And there is something kind of awesome and also a little <laughs> spooky. I don't know. There's a there's probably a German word for it of like the disappointment of fulfilling a dream where <laughs> you go, oh, fuck, I'm still young and hot. Oh, no. You know, you're supposed to if, if you can time it to like 10 minutes before you die. I think that's ideal. <laughs> and so we were like, what's next? And um, and he's a director, a filmmaker. And I'm a, an actress and a comedian. And we thought, you know, boy, it seems like um, as much as we loved our careers in the Twin Cities, which is a great place to make a career, um, L.A. felt like the deep end of the pool, you know. And uh, so we thought, let's fuck it. Let's jump in. So we got an RV and we lived in an RV park, <laughs> you know, which is a lot like a boat, but with a less threat of drowning. And um, and we lived in an RV in L.A. for four years before he uh, hit it lucky. And now we have a. We have plumbing in every room. It's really amazing. <laughs> it's really something. Electricity. I mean, there's a, there's a hurricane apparently outside, and I'm, I'm not worried about my internet. It's really stunning. Nice. So <laughs> you graduated from uh, yeah. University of Minnesota with a history degree, right? Correct. Yeah. History and the- a Bachelor of Arts with a theater and history. When did the podcast start yeah the podcast is recent really but it feels like kind of a culmination of what i've been doing with history for a long time because when i graduated from the university of minnesota it was 2001 and it was literally months before 9 11 and there was like this feeling i don't know if anyone remembers (laughs) there was this optimism and like budget surpluses and stuff and that you could viably make your life as a actor slash historian you know and then there was just this huge cliff Uh, right as I graduated, that was like, oh God, there's no such thing as art anymore. There's probably no such thing as like a living in art anymore. And, um, and so I would just take anything (laughs) that kind of looked like it might look like my degree. And as luck would have it, there was a a museum in Minneapolis called the Bakken, named after Earl Bakken, who's the inventor of the uh, battery operated pacemaker. And they were looking for someone to create a piece of theater based on Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein. 
And um, I got the job because I, of course, I have the perfect marriage of history and theater, you know. And so I performed a one-woman show um, that I wrote in that museum for years. It's still going on. And I led historic tours through uh, historic locations all around the Twin Cities, Prohibition gangster caves and, um, you know, shootout locations and that kind of stuff. Um, And I was writing comedy about history and the irony of history and and writing, you know, commissioned plays for various organizations and stuff like that. And I, so theater performing and history were always sort of dancing around each other, but mostly I just irritated people at parties <laughs> with like historical factoids. You know, I would just sort of tell you shit you didn't think you wanted to know about dumb shit. <laughs> You know, whatever I was reading about, if we were somewhere, I'd be like, you know, the, the, you know, President Polk came through here and ate, oh, fuck, you know, and, um, but then people would say, God, you know, it should have been boring, but I want you to tell me that story again. Or they'd bring a buddy over and be like, you know, that thing you were telling me, can you tell him? Because I couldn't tell it the way you did. And I think it's really interesting. And, and then COVID fucking happened. Right. And, uh, we were super locked down here in LA and I had a little one and even, it was just, uh, frankly, a source of like survival <laughs> that I had some way of performing, you know, um, but it took off and uh, it's really been a joy to do. And people have been super supportive and uh, it feels like a like a, a righteous combination. Yeah, it's a great show. Like Thanks. what? what so what sparked your interest in history, like going back maybe when you were a kid, because, you know, I'm more into history now, you know, especially with people like you telling the history of things than, you know, some boring like show or, or a teacher, or, you know, it's, it's way more interesting now to me for some reason than it ever was before. But obviously, I mean, you went to school for it. So were you into history as a, even as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, wouldn't have necessarily have classified it or like known it, but I remember my mom brought home a hardcover book from the library one time that was basically the, like, case of Ed Gein. Mm. And if you don't, if Ed Gein doesn't ring a bell, he's one of the first, like, rural Wisconsin skin eaters to really make headlines. Uh, The 1950s, he's the guy that, like, Silence of the Lambs is based on and Texas Chainsaw Massacre got a lot of inspiration from Ed Gein because he was a, a necrophiliac who killed only a couple of people, but dug up a lot of graves and wore a lot of dead women's skins. Norman Bates was based on him because he apparently made a skin suit and mom was a big factor, etc. <laughs> and um, my mom had this book that was just sort of a real straightforward, you know, testimony. It was, it was basically like dialogue from the trial. And it also had a ton of pictures. And I mean, I would have been under 10 years old when I saw this book. And nobody gave it to me, but nobody took it away from me either. And I remember sort of being struck by and asking, like, is this true, mom? And she was like, yeah. And it happened not too far from here. I was like, Jesus, God. And then similarly, I remember there being a television drama about um, a plane hijacking. You know, one of the like high profile, like Cuba plane hijackings that was had happened in like the 70s. It was some dramatization. And I was like, did this happen? And mom was like, yeah, that happened. And I was like, shit, this fucking shit's fucking interesting. So like for a lot of people, I was initially pulled in, I think, true crime and fucking terrorism. You know what I mean? Like the good stuff, the wars, the battle, like grab you, you know. But then definitely in school, 
when my friends, and I loved, you know, I loved school in general, but I sensed when my friends were tuning out and I noticed that they were all tuning out in history and I couldn't get enough. And I was asking questions and I was reading ahead and I could always sort of see it cinematically, even if it was presented to me really dryly. You know, I was like, whoa, I could picture the outfits. I can I can see all oh, that. And I'm thinking the, the things are flicking through my head. You know, what songs were popular? They didn't have cars. What kind of horses? It would have been a horse-drawn wagon. So the roads would have been dusty. So it would have been super like I just always <laughs> felt very, like an empathy and able to put myself there. And um, and I remember one in particular in high school. We, I, we, I went, we all went to the mall, which in Wisconsin Rapids, a big deal. You get to a city with a mall, you know, and everyone was going to like Bath and Body Works and like <laughs> the cool stores. And I found my way, of course, to like Barnes and Noble. And I remember I bought a book about piracy, the history of piracy. And I bought a romance novel, like cheap teenage, like seems like a teenage girl, some vampire fucking book or something. And I remember putting the cover of the vampire fucking book over my pirate book to like hide my porn, you know, like hide my shame so that people would be like, oh, you nerd. So I definitely knew early on that like I was perhaps un, un, uh, disproportionately interested in this stuff. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Ray, am I missing anything before we let Dawn take over the, the show with her? She's going to give us a little hilfing here. Yeah. I, I think we're caught up on her story. You got uh, you got pirates, and you got uh, dudes who wear women as clothes. So I think we're caught up on her story. That's it. You know, really, they'll carve it on my tombstone. They just <laughs> a big Jolly Roger flag, and yeah. then just like flaps of skin that could be boobs, and they'll be like, "That's her. <laughs> That's her in a nutshell." Well, one thing I want to one thing I want to get into before you, uh, I let you take over, Dawn. Uh, I didn't realize, too, when I looked you up, uh, you know, 15 minutes before we started this, that you're also uh, you did quite a bit of acting as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, technically, I still do. Um, You know, it's it's we're on strike at the moment, but I am a I am a striking member of SAG-AFTRA. You know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, where I came up, there is a lot of film and television there. And, you know, what film and television came through, a lot of it I had a luck, the luck of being a part of, which meant that when I came to L.A., I had a reel and I had, a, you know, experience on set. And so I got an agent right away and I, I had some luck, you know, Days of Our Lives and Pretty Little Liars and um, very, you know, projects, various other things. <laughs> and it's all cool, man. It's a really cool town to live in for that kind of stuff. And then really right about the time that things got hot, I got pregnant, which was awesome. And I did a lot of work when I was pregnant, but most of it was in stand-up comedy because a big pregnant woman's body is many things in Hollywood and hilarious is one of the most reliable. (laughs) Uh, And then shortly after uh, things got back moving and grooving from that, uh, COVID shut it down. And then now we're in the middle of a strike. So theoretically... (laughs) I'm still an actor. <laughs> now, this little sound booth closet that you're in, is this specifically for the podcast or do you do uh, voiceover work as well? I do voiceover work. That is a, a big uh, slice of my of my pie. Um, it was true in the Twin Cities, too. I was the voice of like some grocery chains and Target and Best Buy. As a matter of fact, I did so much voiceover for Best Buy for like employees, like internal training for employees where I would read hours and hours of technical training on various products. 
And the idea is that they would put this like audio tour sort of device against their head and on their breaks or at their leisure, they sort of walk around the store and I would be the voice telling them what they're supposed to tell the customers, you know, when they get here. But what it meant was when I would go to a Best Buy for something, (laughs) I would say, you know, hi, my name. And, And I'd watch them sort of like, like they were short circuiting and their eyes kind of water. Cause like they had at this point, depending, they had probably heard hours and hours of my voice in their, in their ear, you know? So I'd be like, it's, I am the voice in your ear and wait for them to sort of recalibrate. And then be like, I need a USB <laughs> for it for a blah, you know? Oh, that's yeah. funny. Um, and I've, I'm the voice of a few like video games and which is cool. And, you know, uh, auditioning a lot for various things. Yeah. Nice. But that is all this booth makes really good use of. <laughs> cool. What games? What video games? Um, a couple I actually can't tell you about. Woo! Okay. Yeah, they were like, you can't even say the title, girl, which is cool because they're big and very exciting. Um, and uh, and I will be t- blasting that when I can sure. when I can make it make it clear. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. All right. Well. Uh... We had asked Dawn originally to be on to uh, do a little hilfing here. So real quick, plug your show and then uh, and then tell us what you're going to tell us. Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I, I do love fucking history and I love history fucking. And uh, uh, on my podcast, Hilf, I have a different guest who assigns me a different subject every episode. And they are usually assigning me something that they find very interesting but don't know much about. And I do with my degree, kind of a proper historian's deep dive into that subject and uncover some of the lesser known things, some of the things that I think are the most toe curling or that I think my guest in particular <laughs> might be particularly interested to know. And then I tell them the history in a way that hopefully makes them gasp. And and I love it. And I've done everything at this point. Um, I'm in my third season, just started season three. I uh, have about 44 episodes out and I've done it for everything from, you know, Joan of Arc to the game of tennis to John Dillinger to the F word, the history of swearing. I mean, it's been a wide gamut and I've I've yet to hit anything that doesn't make me crazy in love. And it was true, even with your mini hilf, I feel like this is sort of like, like history I'd like to dry hump, you know, like we're getting... <laughs> Like do a nice little sample on, on Tiny Broderick. Yeah, you assigned me Tiny Broderick. I was I was delighted. Um, what do you know about her, I guess, first going in? And what was it that made you uh, bring her to me? So I just know that I the only thing I really know is that uh, she was the first lady of parachuting. And she originally started jumping out of hot air balloons. And then she was jumping out of planes who it like george martin like lockheed and martin she was jumping out of his planes and he was flying the planes right it's crazy (laughs) isn't it that's about what i know oh well i mean and if and if that was all you knew it would be enough to make her to qualify her as a proper health i think for sure um and tiny broderick like nothing wrong with a hot name um and she was tiny it wasn't an ironic nickname you know, like a tall man named Tiny or a bald guy named Harry. Like she was a tiny little gal. Um, she was three pounds apparently when she was born. Um, and she was born in the late 1890s, 1893 in North Carolina. 
and had a rough, there's not a lot of detail, like with most poor people in all times, it's very difficult to get the minutia detail of their childhood. And when you do have minutia detail from their childhood, it is almost always provided by them themselves, which makes it very suspicious. <laughs> Right. And uh, so it's hard to patch a lot of this together. But what we do know is that she was very, very poor and she was married by the time she was 12 and she was a mother by the time she was 13 and she was a single mother by the time she was 15. Um, And I actually read two different accounts. Um, One of the first accounts I read said that she was an abandoned mother working in a cotton mill at 15 But then a newspaper article that was written on her 80th birthday said that her husband had been killed in an accident. And this is always one of those things that I love as a historian in all times, but definitely as a history fucker, is usually when you find a discrepancy in a person's biography is when you get something very fascinating happened there, right? Because they can't both be true. She was not abandoned and he couldn't have, you know what I mean? So. So what what's which one is true? But then also, if 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 she was indeed abandoned, what possessed her to start telling people that he had died? Was that to preserve his legacy, her children's legacy? It's just is so telling. I love that kind of stuff. Um, but when she is 15, what we know for sure is that she goes to see an acrobat show, a sky flying acrobat show. Keep in mind, uh, this would have been the early 1900s where there are airplanes, <laughs> But they are so fucking new, man, that it is wild to see one. You've heard of these things. Hot air balloons are still pretty new and wild, but that is the most likely thing you're going to see in terms of an aerial thing. And a lot of these jumpers and skydivers and stunts and stuff are happening in these balloons. And she was struck by it. I mean, this kid, this just teenage mom working in a cotton mill was was mesmerized and she introduced herself to the leaders of the of the show and she said i think this this parachute this idea of this parachute that they had she's like i'm the best possible person to try this out on because i'm so fucking tiny it's my name right and uh, and i'm not scared either and i'm and, and i'm a woman and i'm poor so i'm totally disposable you can i can die and nothing bad will happen to you that's for sure <laughs> you know you have nothing to lose here and um and she was so fearless and so good. And she was um, the first woman to parachute out of a hot air balloon. But she was the first person to f- parachute out of a plane. And when World War I uh, came around, she was actually tasked with instructing the army on how to use parachutes in warfare, which they were completely against. Of course, like it is a very vulnerable thing to be tethered to this newfangled aircraft. And that was the way that a parachute would be deployed in the early days was with a, a straight line. So you would have you would literally and now many of them still are with paratroopers. You you don't have to worry about pulling any kind of cord. As soon as you get a certain distance from the plane, it happens automatically. She was demonstrating this to the army. And on like her fifth jump, her straight line got caught and she got herself untangled and landed safely. And then the next time she went up after that, she just severed the line and held it in one hand so that she could pull it herself. <laughs> she was going down. And it like this single handedly inspired the army to like take on parachuting because they had seen two things go wrong and her be like, oh, whoop, I got it. And, you know. Now- 
Now, do you think these these big ass dudes were like, all right, that works for this tiny little woman with this yeah. parachute? Do they have like bigger parachutes for us? Right? Do, I would think, think so. <laughs> yeah, they had to like once she walked across the field towards them <laughs> and the perspective aligned, <laughs> they'd be like, oh no, 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 no. And with all of our things. Um and actually parachutes are old as fuck, man. Like there are there are designs of parachutes that Da Vinci is credited with in the 1470s. And and they tried to sort of finesse, and you can see the cone shape and like a bar that they have to hold on to and definitely knowing obviously what we know now the thing that was disproportionate about it was just they didn't quite have the size right like they just had to kind of broaden the scope and then it would work but by that time yeah the math was good enough that they were like we just got to make them proportionate to y'all and your guns and all the things you're holding you know didn't she invent something for the parachute as well Am I remembering well, the that? Cord, <clears throat> because prior to her, you there was only a static line, like a straight line. So that idea of a rip cord, a separate thing that you could pull yourself as you fell, was her. Was credited to her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. She was also just the, the the whole thing is just amazing. You know, her the time of everything, and you know, like you right? said, planes were new at the time. Like, yeah. Our friend, like, uh, our friend Bose Venson is in a movie called The Great Waldo Pepper, um, and it's re- it's it's about um, right after World War One when all these these pilots were coming back from World War One, and they didn't really know anything else to do like with their life, so they would just yeah. fly their planes around the country and like land in these fields and give people rides for like fifty right. cents. It's crazy. And Right? Yeah, I mean, hell the yeah. They say with uh, downhill skiing. Downhill skiing it was an invention of warfare too. That was like how to how to shoot and navigate these snow-covered high elevation, you know, front lines. And they developed not only winter gear, how to stay warm in those warm enough in those climates, but also how to like shoot and ski down the mountain and you know, World War II was over and those guys were like, fuck, that was fucking fun. <laughs> you know what? I bet it would be even more fun if you weren't being shot at. I bet it would be great. I didn't know that. That's cool. That's not a cool yeah. story. Yeah. You should, you, do know a, really... you should do a hill thing on uh, downhill skiing. I should, well, you should be my guest. Assign <laughs> it to me and it's done. But this is this is the other part of uh, I wanted to mention about Tiny Broderick's life because she was sort of a celebrity. You know what I mean? But but she was never that wealthy. And she did have a, her relationships were a little questionable. She was like technically the adopted daughter of the guy who ran the circus, but then sometimes listed as his wife and, you know, questionable. She um, marries like three times, never for very long. And she loves what she does. And she does it with this passion, obviously, but she retires at 29 because of her ankles. Like she just actually can't do it anymore. And from 29 for on, she works in a tire factory just goes from being the first woman to land in a body of water, first woman to parachute out of a plane, first woman, you know, all these incredible things, headlines everywhere to just like back in a tire factory where she worked for decades. Hmm. And then, you know, when she was 80, they, you know, made some headlines for her and people started kind of, you know, getting excited for her. But what it means is that she only did what she loved for 14 years. And then she watched the rest of the world get going on it for the next 60 fucking years. 
I mean, that fucking sucks. And everyone she worked with had to listen to her yap about jumping out of fucking planes for like 30 30 years. (laughs) Sure you did, Tiny. Sure you did. You know who we should feel really bad for is whoever stood next to her in that tire factory, (laughs) is what you're saying. They just had to hear the same 14 years worth of shit. Yep. You know, I hate this fucking place. I used to jump out of planes. (laughs) What'd you fucking do before this? Nothing, right? Well, and she did. Apparently, she had stories. She was tangled in trees. She said she landed in Rivers Lake. She said one time her she parachuted and landed on the caboose of a train. She's landed in high voltage wires. That's like Lawn Chair Larry. That's what he got stuck in. Was yeah. was that what got him? It didn't kill him, but that's how he got stuck, and they had to come get him down. Yeah, she. Yeah, she made it. Yeah, she obviously didn't die either. Um, I'm so sad. You know, high power lines are not as scary as they make them out to be. It's like when we were kids and they told us quicksand was going to be a problem. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. high voltage lines are not that scary. Yeah. You're like, nobody talked to me about meningitis. Like, right. <laughs> that'll get you. Like, can you touch your chin to your chest, kid? Because that's what'll get you. <laughs> Yeah, I am in the middle of like crazy like end times weather right now as as we record this. I'm in Los Angeles and their first uh tropical storm hurricane warning in fucking 88 years. Oh Wild. shit. They canceled school tomorrow. That's one of the reasons why I'm in this booth because I'm going to have to hang out with my child at home for a whole other day. Lord <laughs> mercy. Yeah, I'm running out of things. I'm running out of tricks. <laughs> well, you <laughs> You can tell her the tiny Broadwick story tomorrow. That'll occupy a while. Do you want to know? The fact is, right? She is so full of history bullshit. And I don't know if it's going to label her as a nerd or like save her in school, but she, like, you ask her, like, she knows about the Titanic. She knows about, she has like figurines and she'll play, like, her play is like the Titanic and the iceberg. And. <laughs> Cleopatra, you know, the Nile. She knows all about, uh, uh, she knows what a, a, a colonic jar is. That's where you put the organs of a mummy. It's not right. She's not going to be okay. I'm not doing this right. Definitely. How old is she? Is she just turned five? Uh, she'll be fine. Yeah. It's over now. They say those first five years are the formative years. If you really are going to fuck them up, it's yeah. over now. <laughs> I mean, she'll they're be still. I think so. I think she'll be okay. Let's see. What else do I have? I have another fuckable. Oh, just her marriages. Oh, and George Brown. She, one of her marriages was to, to her real birth name was Georgia. And one of her marriages was to Harry Brown. And she became sweet Georgia Brown for four years in the middle of her career and didn't jump out of airplanes for four years while she was sweet Georgia Brown. And then he left her and she climbed back up onto a plane and did it again for another two years when did she start doing because she was on uh what was the she was on a tv show right the uh, this is your life yeah bet on your life yeah Yeah. she did a couple uh you know like abc or nbc interviews too right that i found on youtube yeah wasn't they were all towards the where they that that stuff was all towards the end of her life though right Yeah. She died in 1978. She was 85. And that was what was so nuts. That news article was like her 80th birthday in some local paper. And it was like, you know, this little tiny thing. And they showed a picture of her on the wing of an airplane, you know, is turning 80. And they took her to see some parachutist and skydivers that were doing like aerial dancing, you know, like coordinated stuff. And they said that she 
was really emotional about it. And she said, I wish I could be with them. I, I've never been happier than I was up there. Yeah, I remember her saying in the one interview, too, they, they asked her about um, commercial flight. Has she ever been out on any commercial flights and what she thought of that? And she said uh, she didn't really enjoy it much. The only thing that she liked was when it, there was turbulence. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. How boring. This thing just hit, sits here. You just basically sit here. All of you <laughs> the whole time. Nobody jumps out. Yeah. Yeah, one of our shticks is when we bring people on, we try not to bring up their most popular thing. So if we had actually got to interview her, we would have only talked about that fucking tire factory. The whole. <laughs> so it's like a good year. Yeah. Feel different than a Firestone. Like, can you smell the difference? Yeah. Is that penny trick with the tread thing? Is that real? <laughs> she probably at some phase of her life would have been just so delighted by the attention. She would have answered all of your tire questions. Probably. She apparently was a home uh, nurse, too. Towards the end, she she was like a home companion for the elderly. To your point, a whole new batch of people to hear her stories. And <laughs> Have somebody all day be like, oh, you oh that that's what you did when you were younger. <laughs> I think what I found so fascinating about the whole story was that, you know, she did contribute so much to, you know, parachuting. She taught I mean, she taught the damn army how to parachute, you know, yeah, uh, invented the ribcord. And there's so very little information about her. You know, like I have this I ha I bought this book tiny broadwick the first lady of parachuting and this is i can't even find any information about the the author of this book like i looked the yeah. author up to talk to her about uh tiny and you can't i can't find any information about her daughter like she had a daughter i think her name yeah. was uh vera or verma or something like Vir that virla Vir and she did she had a daughter named virla who had six children of her own and apparently Tiny did enjoy it. She had like 14 great grandchildren and she was surrounded by family, which I think is kind of lovely because I don't know a lot about the details of her surrendering her child. But when she ran away with the circus, essentially, her parents raised Virla yep. and and took care of her. And, and she didn't retire full time from parachuting until she was almost 30. So her parents did essentially raise her. But Virla, by the accounts I read, stayed connected with Tiny and brought all of her children into Tiny's world and, you know, there was no fame or wealth to offer them in exchange for that. It ha must have been somewhat harmonious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you uh, hilfing it for us. It was a joy. Always a joy. You know, now I'm going to go out in the rain, smoke a cigarette, <laughs> try to calm myself down. <laughs> Any other facts that you that you can share about Tiny before we uh, let you go? Um, let's see. I know that she, her, her last name, this is kind of the Broderick. She took that name from the guy who ran that first circus that she ran away with. And as we said, Tiny Broderick is fucking fantastic name um but she was never technically married to him and he was not included as one of her many kind of previous husbands but his was the name that she kept except for that four years that she was married to henry brown and was sweet george brown before that divorce and she went back to being tiny broderick and not just returned to the name but returned to the skies under that name um, and I think, you know, if I was really going tits deep into this history and helping again, um, in addition to the legendary stories I'm sure she has of the tire factory, I would, uh, really want to know about them years with Harry Brown. 
Yeah, something significant happened that she had, that she changed the. I mean, she even called herself Sweet Georgia Brown. Right? And you have to know that, like, her, the husband, <laughs> you know, whoever it was, just like, just go jump out of planes for Christ's sake! Like, it actually <laughs> turns out I don't have anything better for you. Just quit. Ray, do you have a, a real question you want to ask Dawn? Let's... Put you on the spot here. All right, let's let's do it. All right, so we ask everybody who comes on the show a question. They have 60 seconds to answer it. Oof. All right. Okay, you ready? Okay, yes. What is your all-time favorite acting gig you've had? Uh, I was in a live stage production of Tony and Tina's Wedding. I did eight shows a week for two and a half years, and I made the best friends of my life, and it was an improvised Italian wedding. And I got to play the pregnant maid of honor. <laughs> and my best friend on the show became my best friend in real life. My boyfriend in the show became my boyfriend in real life. And it was just amazing. Best job ever. Nice. Dawn, go. thank you so much for uh, helping with us. Please plug your show. And uh, if you have any upcoming dates, I know you're also a stand-up comic. Please plug away. Yeah. Hey, thanks again for having me. Uh, the podcast is called Hilf, History I'd Like to Fuck. Uh, you can find it under L- H-I-L-F everywhere on all of the various places that you get podcasts. Um, you can also find me at Dawn Brody. And my last name is B-R-O-D-E-Y on all of the things. Um, and I have new episodes every other Wednesday. Uh, if you are in and around Los Angeles, you can find me pretty much every Tuesday night. Uh, emceeing the main stage at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. Um, and then I am in various stages in Hollywood, Comedy Store, Laugh Factory, Improv, Hollywood Improv when I can, uh, the Ice House in Pasadena. And you can find any of my appearances and new episodes of Hilf. Um, probably the best place is on Instagram at Hilf Podcast. That's where you'll get the latest, the fastest. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I had a blast. All right. We'll see you later. Hey, cool. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> <laughs>